friends. Welcome back to the third episode of Chronically Speaking. I have recorded three episodes this week and I've edited none of them. My brain is fried, so I don't know exactly when this is going to to go out or not, but we'll see. I just thought at this point in the series, it might be nice to cover one of the subjects, one of the questions that I get asked the most ever of all. It is my number one question by far and large, um, which is how did you get your diagnosis? What was that process like? And my process was not, I think, typical in any way, shape or form. It ran in my family and endometriosis runs in my family. And I was diagnosed pretty young. So went through a lot as a teenager uh, when I was first going through all of that. And I have some other periods of diagnosis that were also kind of influential to this whole thing. So I thought we could sit down and I could just share it all in one go uh, and sort of give you the details that I haven't been able to share in the past, uh, just given that we have this platform now. So get your snacks, get your blanket, get your water, get all comfy, and let's get into it. Just starting with a disclaimer before we get going, like always, I am not a doctor or claiming to be one. This podcast cannot replace medical advice. All views expressed are my own and are based on my own personal experiences. And as always, any research shared in the show will be in the show notes, but I encourage you to do your own. Now on with the episode. Okay, so I actually wasn't originally diagnosed with endometriosis at first. My first diagnosis that I received was PCOS, but that all came after my first period. So I guess maybe that's a place to start. Um, my first period I got just before I turned 13 and was starting, um, in Canada where I'm from, uh, high school starts in eighth grade. So I was transitioning schools at the time and school had just started and I was actually at a family friend's house when I got it. And I just thought that like, maybe I was really sick. Like my stomach hurt so bad. And I was like, I must have the flu. I must be sick. Like, what are you going to do? You know? Um, so then I went to the bathroom and noticed that indeed there was not blood, but it was like brown discharge. Um, so when we got home from my, my family friend's place, I like told my mom and she was like, you definitely just got your period. Like, was it painful? And I was like, yeah, like I'm in a lot of pain. And then she gave me my first heating pad. <laughs> yeah. I told both my parents that day and cause I was in so much pain. I was like, I don't know if I can go to school tomorrow. Um, and it just, it was, a uh, an interesting experience to say the least. Um, and then they said, you know, you're already in pain and we need to keep an eye on this based on the fact that my mom has endometriosis. And they're like, let's just, you know, give it a few months and see if things even out, you know, the first couple months after your first period can be kind of weird and wacky. Um, so let's just, let's just give it some time and see how things go. I want to say like nine months later, I, was I was woken up in the middle of the night from the pain which was not unusual and I wasn't able to sleep and I think I fell asleep on the bathroom floor for a while and my parents used to bring me blankets and pillows because I just refused to leave the bathroom floor the cold tiles were the only thing that gave me relief and just like laying completely flat on my stomach on the tile like I couldn't imagine couldn't fathom being simply anywhere else So then in the morning, I thought I might feel better. And so I woke up before I had to go to school. I woke up earlier than I was, you know, used to, to take medication, hopefully have it kick in while I was sleeping. And then by the time I had to get up, it would be working. And so I did that and it was not working. And I went to the bathroom to get ready for school and I was doing my hair and stuff. 
and I just basically crawled into a ball on the floor and I was like I can't do this today I can't I can't keep doing this but I especially can't do this today and my dad was talking to me through the door and he was like what what do you need what can we get you like you know can you go to school like what do you think and I was like I can't do this and so my mom had some important meetings at work that day and my dad was able to move around his schedule a little bit so he took me to our family doctor and our family doctor when I told her what happened kind of what I'd been experiencing just looked at me and was like yeah you get bad periods like that sucks (laughs) like I'm sure that we we've all experienced something like that before so this isn't you know a unique aspect to my story per se um but it was the first time that I had been met with somebody not not believing me but not understanding the severity of my of of my pain and I was kind of like no like it's really bad like I can't play sports I can't go to school like I'm missing school right now I can't take tests like I can't do extracurriculars like I'm having a really hard time and she just insisted like take some painkillers have you tried my doll and my parents were like, of course we have. My dad was like, of course we have. Um, and he basically just said, you know, my wife, her mom struggles with endometriosis and we're not leaving here until we have some other course of action, you know, whether it's blood work or an ultrasound or something, but like we need testing to be done. Like this cannot continue. And the doctor ended up ordering an ultrasound, um, a pelvic ultrasound that showed that I had cysts on my, on my ovaries. And so I had a few other symptoms as well, um, overgrowth of hair, bad periods, you know, a few others. And so they diagnosed me with PCOS. And because of that, then they started me on birth control to hopefully shrink the cysts. I think that was their their thought. Um, and so when I was diagnosed with PCOS, they sent me home with a birth control prescription. And I was in the car with my parents and just like silent. I couldn't, I don't know, speak or really understand what was even happening so they sent me home with this birth control prescription and my parents are driving home in the car after I received the results from the ultrasound and I'm silent like I can't I don't really want to talk I don't really want to do anything and so we got home my parents were like trying to cheer me up and figure out how to get me talking and you know I I just wouldn't I couldn't I didn't know what to say and my brother was at a friend's house and so my parents were like you know We'll put on Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is my favorite movie, and they sat on either side of me, and we had ice cream, and we sat there until I fell asleep, and that's how I dealt with my first diagnosis, my first but not my last, um, and then over the span of a year after that, I think I tried three or four birth controls because they wanted me to try them for three months at a time and like really give it a, a good try. None of them worked, Um, and being on that many different hormones, my skin was so messed up. I was fluctuating in weight a lot. It was it was really bad. (laughs) It was a really hard time in my life. Also, I was pretty young. I think at this time I was definitely no no older than fifteen, and so I didn't know anybody else that was on birth control or dealing with the things that I was dealing with, and so I definitely wasn't talking about it. And I had a cyst burst um, before they before they shrunk when I was at the library with my friends, and it was this like white hot pain and I have never experienced anything in my life quite like it since on that in that way it was it was a unique experience having having a cyst burst and so I'm on these birth controls and nothing's really working and my mom you know tries to get me referred to another specialist and so I do and 
she's based in a different town than than I was living in and so I'm seeing this specialist and they do another ultrasound on me and they're like yeah like you have cysts um, that's definitely prevalent and so then the specialist comes in to talk to my mom and I and she's acting like I'm not even in the room and she's asking questions about me and my mom's like she's right there like you can just ask her like I'm just here to support her and it was a really weird experience having choices being made about your body almost without any consideration for you as a person you know nobody asked me this doctor didn't ask me how is it affecting you know your life I wasn't playing sports I wasn't doing you know extracurriculars I wasn't seeing my friends like I was but I was you know suffering in 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 a way as well so the fact that she just completely wrote me off as a person was a horrible feeling and I'm on the first appointment with this doctor um she looked at my mom and she said the reason your daughter feels this way is because she eats McDonald's so she needs to stop doing that and my mom, you would have thought somebody slapped her in the face. She whipped around and she was like, excuse me, like my daughter is a teenager. And if you're sitting here telling me that she can't have a life with her friends and go get fries after school every once in a while, which wasn't even a conversation we were having, by the way, we were not discussing my diet or anything. It just kind of came out of the blue. And I had never mentioned McDonald's. I was like, where is this woman getting this from? Like, this is this is so confusing to me. And my mom immediately was like, pack your stuff. Like, we're leaving. We're never coming back here. This is not your fault. It's not because of something that you ate. It's not because of a choice that you made. And how dare she say that to you? And I I thought, I think back on it now, and I think about how harmful that narrative could have been to me had my mom not been there and immediately corrected that action and said, actually, that's not true. Actually, it's not your fault. Actually, you're doing the best that you can and actually you get to have a life instead of just listening to, to this, this specialist and say, well, yeah, that, that must be the reason. And so I'm, I'm grateful to my parents for so many reasons, but that's definitely a huge one. And so after that, the specialist in the town over for me didn't work out. So my mom talked to her endometriosis specialist and basically was like, who is the best person to see for pediatric gynecology in this way? And how do we get in? What happens? And so her specialist gave some names to to my mom and we made some phone calls. My mom was calling everybody that she could possibly get in touch with. My dad was reading every research paper on pediatric endometriosis and pediatric gynecology that he possibly could, doing as much research as possible. And between the two of them, they got me into a specialist at the Children's Hospital in uh, in my province. And I got into the hospital, but they couldn't see me till I turned 16. I don't actually remember the reason why, but they couldn't see me till then. And so I think we had about nine months to go at that point till I turned 16. And then shortly after my 16th birthday, I went to go see her. And I remember just feeling like things were different this time. I, the hospital was a welcoming place. Uh, you know, my specialist was patient and understanding and empathetic to everything that I had been through already and, you know, respected kind of where my boundaries were in, in that way. And my parents were there also to kind of share their perspective on things. And so I told her everything that I had tried and been through and, you know, everything that I had attempted. And she said, you know, it sounds probably like our end goal here is going to be surgery. But I mean, that's a long way away and we have other things 
we're going to want to try first. So they put me on a bunch of supplements to see if that would help. And it does. It just obviously doesn't make things go away or even really manageable in that way. Um, I went to physical therapy. I went to a clinic as well where I learned about um, like how endometriosis works and what research is behind it and how to manage your pain, um, like a pain clinic uh, I went to, a seminar. And then I was admitted to the pain clinic later to be part of that. Um, and I was seeing my physical therapist on a regular basis for pelvic floor physical therapy. I was trying multiple medications, um, some for endometriosis, some not. And we did that for about a year. And then a year from the first appointment came around and my family and I, we were camping in uh, Kelowna, which I did every summer as a kid. And so we were camping there and I spent a lot of time just thinking about like, what do I want? Like, what is my end result? And my, I just kept running into myself where it was like, I want to feel better. I want to be able to do more things. I want to live more life. And I don't feel like I am right now. And so, so how do I get there? What's, what's the next step? And I did a bunch of research and I read a lot of testimonials from people and watched every YouTube video you could possibly imagine about endometriosis. And I decided that if my specialist in this next appointment offered surgery to me, that I was, I was going to take it. And I told my parents this and they obviously were uh, scared and sort of like, you know, consider all your options. Like maybe we don't need to do that yet. Like you don't know what she's going to say. And I was like, I totally hear you and you're, you're right. But if it's on the table, I'm going to do it. Like I, I need to know. And if this isn't, if I have this surgery and it isn't, you know, if it's not endometriosis, then I, I deserve to know that too. I deserve to know what's going on with my body. And an answer for something to be no is just as helpful. I need to do this. And so a few weeks later, we went to the appointment and it was really peaceful, but really sad as well. A friend came with us because we were going, my, we were going to go do something downtown after. So she came to the hospital and she got to see kind of everything that I did while I was there, you know, my intake and, you know, all the paperwork and everything. And my parents and I went into the room and uh, my specialist, we you know, we went over everything about how I was feeling and how I didn't feel like I was, you know, thriving in my life. And she just looked at me and was like, you know, we're here to support whatever it is that you want. And if you want surgery, like I will support that. And I understand why you want that. And so that day I signed the papers. They let me do that. My parents and her, I was just shy of my 17th birthday. And I think that that was really impactful for me being able to sign that myself and really take autonomy over that moment and almost take my body back in a way being like, no, this is what I am deciding and I'm going to take control of my life again. And I'm going to jump back into it. And I'm not just going to watch it pass me by and, you know, have my body feel ways. I'm going to, I'm going to try and do something about it. So senior year starts my senior year of high school. And at this point I was part of a initiative that my school was having, um, in the leadership program to have schools from all over the province come to our high school to host a leadership conference for for high school students. I was really involved in school and in that way when I was able to. And uh, I'd been planning it for almost a year and a half at this point, going to meetings and helping out and volunteering and whatever. And I had tried out 
in some ways. I, I did try out uh, to be the MC of the event and I was chosen and I was going to do the opening ceremonies and I was so excited. Like as a mini journalist, a wannabe journalist, this was everything and more to me. Nothing else could possibly ever compare. And so I'm getting ready for this conference. I got my full license. I'm in the process of uh, buying my car and I get a phone call about scheduling my surgery. And they say, uh, you know, we're, we want to schedule it for October that is like, you know, whatever works for you. And I said, I can't, I'm really sorry, but that's the week that I'm supposed to have this conference and I've been working for it for a year and a half. And I know most people don't turn turn down surgery in that way, but I was like, I I still need to have a life. And I've been working so, so hard at this at school and I just want to be able to enjoy it. And so the event happens and the hospital calls me again and they say, okay, we want to schedule your surgery for no, for December. And I'm like, December? That's a whole four months away. I can't do that. And they were like, that's the earliest we have. We're sorry. Like, we'll let you know if anything comes up earlier and put you on a cancellation list. And I cried and I cried and I cried. And I just remember thinking, how am I supposed to get the next four months with this pain? At this point, I was taking Vizan, um, Vizan, Vizan, however you say it. And it was working, but it wasn't a strong enough dosage yet for it to make a really big difference. And so I was struggling. I was in a lot of pain. I was at school taking Advil and Tylenol every four hours just to get through the day. And I remember around this time, I was on a run. I used to go for runs in the morning before school. And I was on a run and I remember thinking, how am I supposed to get through this? How am I supposed to get through this? And I thought, the only person that's going to get me through this is me. So I need to get it together. I need to be more diligent about my medications and my supplements, more diligent about my exercise more diligent about my sleep and I will get myself to December and I will survive this because I've survived everything up until this far and it's my job it's my responsibility the only person that's going to get me there is me and so I did that I worked really really hard at, at doing all that and keeping myself steady and you know the leadership conference happens it's so much fun it's one of my favorite memories of high school and they call me and they're like actually, we're going to bump your surgery up into November. And I'm like, okay, great. Awesome. I ended up missing like the recap of the leadership conference that my team had, but that was okay. They were supportive. They sent me a nice video. Um, and I was in that moment ecstatic, but also terrified because now it was happening. And now I was going to know either way if I was right or wrong. And I just, you know, kept repeating to myself, I deserve to know. I deserve answers. And if this isn't, you know, what I think it is, then it's something else. And I deserve to know that too. And I worked really hard at getting myself in a good mindset, even though some days it was scary. And it was like, what if there's nothing wrong with me at all, ever? And this was all just a waste of time. And I'm missing school for no reason. And so I spent the next few weeks coming off of my supplements and the painkillers that I was taking and just slowly working on that and preparing to be off of school. They told me because I was so young that it would only take me like a week to bounce back. Uh, that was not true at all. But anyways, um, so I'm preparing. I'm like not telling any of my friends. I don't tell any of my friends except for my closest, closest friends. 
and some teachers but I don't even think I told them I was having surgery I just think I said I was going to be off because of a medical thing but anyways I didn't really tell anybody but the people that did know were very kind and were like we'll, we'll visit you it'll be okay like we love you whatever so then the day of the surgery comes around and I remember thinking the night before about how scared I was and someone a friend of mine said like just go get like a slushy or a coffee or an ice cap and watch the stupidest movie you can think of. Like literally the stupidest movie you can think of. And so I did that and it was perfect and it was exactly what I needed. I just needed to pretend that I wasn't existing in the world that I was existing in in that moment. And so I went to sleep. I had a hard time falling asleep, but I woke up really early and my parents were kind of like, are you okay? Are you scared? And I was like, I feel at peace. I I know that this is what needs to happen for me. And I feel this in my conviction and I know that this is this is what needs to happen. And so we get in the car and I remember almost being happy on the car ride. Of course I was scared. Of course I was scared, but overall I was just like this is finally happening and all the work that I've done has has gotten me to this point. So I don't really remember a whole lot at the hospital. Obviously they give you medication to like you know, the anesthetic, but also to relax you. So I don't really remember a ton, but I remember being there and waiting around for a while, um, just because ORs take a while to open up sometimes. And I watched Breakfast at Tiffany's on, in in my hospital bed. Do you see a theme here? Um, and my parents were on either side of me, uh, and I had a Mickey Mouse teddy bear with me and a change of clothes. And I just was sort of like, this isn't in my hands anymore and I have to trust that this is going to end in the best result for me in my in my you know future and my ultimate journey so I'm just gonna let go and then they told me I had to walk into the OR I was like are you kidding really and they were like yeah sorry um and keep in mind here I'm still 17 I'm just barely 17 And so I walk into the OR and I'm about to get on the table and the nurses are like, what do you want to listen to? And I was like, whatever you guys like to listen to. And they put on pink. And so I was listening to pink and sitting on the table and, you know, trying to relax and they're trying to insert my IV and do all that. And they're asking me about prom. They're like, tell us about your prom dress. Like, you know, are you going to go on a limo? Do you have a date? Like whatever. They're saying all this stuff and then I fell asleep. And that's pretty much where that ended off. And then I woke up in recovery and I thought I was dying. I was in so much pain. And my nurse that had, you know, helped me in my intake and was like assigned to me basically was, was going to be let off of her shift soon. Um, but she was standing with me and I remember looking up at her and she was like smoothing my hair back from my head and she was like, it's going to be okay. Like, you're okay. You're okay. And I was like, I don't feel okay. I, and I remember I could, I could hear my mom saying to me, like, if you need something, you have to advocate for it. And you have to ask for it. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I need more pain medication. I can't do this. Like, I'm, I'm really sorry. They're like, what's your pain? I'm like a 10, a 10, a 10, a 10, a 10, a 10. And there's more nurses coming in there. I'm like at this point screaming, like screaming bloody murder. I'm in so much pain. And more nurses run in and they're trying to increase my IV and do all this stuff. And I pass out again. And then I come back to and I'm still yelling, but like 
not as bad and I kept asking for my mom I guess my parents and they're not supposed to let anybody come back there but I just like wouldn't shut up I guess <laughs> um so then they brought my mom back and I'm like sitting there and I'm like who my mom's here whatever and then I'm like delirious so I'm like where's Nikki where's Nikki I'm like asking for my high school best friend and uh she was like Nikki's in school I was like no she's not like whatever I'm just delirious at this point and they look at me and they're like okay like will you be able to like get dressed now like I get wheeled into a different area out of recovery and they're like okay it's time to leave and I'm like no I am not I'm in so much pain like there's no way that I'm going to be able to put clothes on and leave this hospital right now so they bring me back into recovery they give me a bit more pain medication and then I get dressed there and I have like sweatpants that are like two sizes too big so it's barely touching my stomach where my incisions were which was my plan all along and uh, I put my slides on, do all this stuff, and I'm leaving. And my specialist waves to me, and she was like, get home safe. And they put me in a wheelchair. My dad wheels me out. We're getting to the car, and I was like, stop. And they're like, what? They're like, stop. Just look at me. And they're like, what's going on? And I was like, did they find it? And they were like, we can talk about that. I was like, no, no, no. Did they find it? And my parents were like, yes. Yes, they found it. And you would think that most people would cry in that moment, but I just felt immense relief from the deepest parts of my soul. I've never felt anything like that in my life since. I truly have never felt more relief and I was right. I know my body best and I was right. And nobody can tell me anything now because... I listened to my body, I fought for my body, I advocated for my body, and I was right. And even if I wasn't, I was still going to be kind to myself, still kind to my body. But from my very first diagnosis of PCOS, I knew. I knew something was wrong, and I knew what was wrong. And I just had to express that to people in a way where they could understand and they could believe me. And of course, there are people along the way who didn't believe me, who gaslit me, who tried to, you know, push me in different directions. But at the end of the day, I was right. And my parents believed me and my, you know, specialists believed me. And that's all that matters. And so ever since that day, things have been different for me. And, you know, I'm not normal. And that's okay. And I am tired and have been tired of trying to fit in and although I didn't tell anybody about my diagnosis for a really long time because I didn't want to be treated differently I will shout it from the rooftops now I will talk about it with whoever needs to hear it and I'm just really proud of myself for not only advocating through all that for getting through all my fears at such a young age and overcoming something like that that I'm still working to advocate for others and for myself and for my mom and for everybody that I love personally that experiences this and complete strangers around the world. And that's what I think is so important about something like this is that we support one another and do our best to make the world a better place for the people that come after us. Okay. So that was a little bit of a 
heavier discussion. But like I said, I get asked about it a lot. And obviously there's more of a story after the diagnosis that does, that's not where my story stops. Um, and I've received other diagnoses since then. Um, and, uh, I'm happy to share that, you know, the second part of, of my journey pretty much ever since then, uh, cause it's also interesting, but I thought that's where we would leave it for today. If any of you are struggling with trying to get a diagnosis, please know that I see you. If any of you have had surgery and nothing's come up, I see you. I hear you. Um, if any of you are struggling to have people believe you, I see you. I hear you. I am you. And you're never alone. And you deserve answers and you deserve support. And if there's anything that I can do to help you in that journey, I hope that you'll reach out to me or reach out to other people in this community and gain that support. As always, you can reach me on Instagram or TikTok at her underscore uterus. And I hope that you feel supported after listening to this. Maybe you have some similarities in your diagnosis story with mine, or you had some different experiences. I would love to hear them in the comments. And thanks for tuning in.